1: Your Ben Jarofsky Show for this Friday, May 26th, starts now. On today's show, what happens when two good friends get together on a Friday afternoon to talk about politics on the internet? Well, we call that Oh What a Week on the Ben Jarofsky Show. This week, Mick Dumpke from Block Club Chicago. And the Ben Jarofsky Show, as always, brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader chicagoreader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, and so much more. And Ben jarovsky's over there, too. Just head to chicagoreader.com forward slash jarovsky That's J-O-R-A, V as in victory, S-K-Y.
2: Hello again, everybody. Ben jarovsky here. We're calling this Ron versus Ron Friday, and here's why. Actually, this is, oh, what a week, Friday. <laughs> Just felt like saying Ron versus Rom because that's going to be my opening thoughts. And my uh, guest today is, of course, the legendary Mick Dunkey, Black club editor, writer extraordinaire, my former partner in crime at The Reader. He's sitting patiently on while I uh, open with this dissertation on Rom versus Ron. Uh, in honor of Mick, I don't know if Mick notices, I'm wearing my purple shirt today. Uh, Mick is a diehard Northwestern Wildcat fan. And so in honor of Mick, I'm wearing my purple shirt. I would have, if I thought about it, worn my Northwestern baseball hat. Yes, I have a Northwestern baseball hat. Uh, which I wear like once or twice a year when I go to a Northwestern football game. Uh, probably more information than any of you want to know, but I forgot to put it on and instead, put on my bull's head. And what would I be without a bull's head? All right. Ron versus Ron. Let me open with this. This thought has been on my mind for a while. It crystallized yesterday when I was going for a walk. Uh, and I was like thinking, Ron, what's on my mind uh, it was Ron, of course, Governor Ron DeSantis, uh, who n- announced yesterday he's running uh, for president. We discussed it at length in yesterday's show. Uh, I think pretty much everyone agrees uh, that it was the world's worst presidential announcement. can't think of any in my lifetime that was worse. <laughs> he announced it on uh, uh, Twitter and the, the site collapsed. Uh, <laughs> So for twenty minutes, all you heard was like Elon Musk talking to various aides. Uh, what's going on? Are we up yet? Are we? Where are we? Kind of thing. And uh, and then he uh, spewed his typical uh, Ron DeSantis did his anti woke BS, which is is his uh, reason for running. But uh, something struck me when I was on my walk, that there's a big parallel between uh, Ron DeSantis and Rahm Emanuel, our former mayor, who's been on my mind this week uh, ever since uh, he somehow or other talks the Sun-Times into running that embarrassing puff piece about how he, I don't know, engineered uh, some money going to the University of Chicago to help build a research facility there. Uh, This puff piece, by the way, coming out the same week as serious journalism Alden Lowry, shout out, Lauren Fitzpatrick, shout out, Nader Issa, uh, shout out, and legendary Sarah Carp shout out on the closing of the schools 10 years later. Great story. I urge everybody to uh, read it, either in the Sun-Times or BEZ. Uh, in that story, Rom <laughs> could not be reached for comment. So in the story where there's like a legitimate discussion of significant policy enacted by Rom that has affected thousands and thousands of people in the city of Chicago, no comment. Can't be reached. I'm busy. But it's a total fluff puff piece about, I don't even know what it's about. It's not even worthy of mentioning what it's about. Because it doesn't help anyone in the city of Chicago, really. Oh, how can I help you? Here I am. Here's my text. My number. Call me anytime. So anyway, I was thinking of Rom, Rom, and Ron. What do they have in common? Well, they, other than they're both jerks. They're both frauds. And their names begin with the letter R. They're both chicken. They're trying. <laughs> They're afraid to criticize their boss. This, this this moment is crystallized. I would have called Mick there and then on the phone to tell him this great thought I had. but I didn't want to bother him. He's probably doing something important, like watching a basketball game. And uh, <laughs> it it it's remarkable. So Ron DeSantis is trying to get the Republican nomination by convincing Trump, the Trump cult that he, Ron DeSantis, will do absolutely everything that Trump did, only more so, but he can get elected. Trump is not electable because he's facing, I don't know, well, he's got one indictment right now, he just was convicted of sexual assault. He's probably got two more indictments coming down the road. He'll be probably on trial. I'm just kidding, so It's so <laughs> twisted. It's funny, folks. He'll, he will probably be on trial in at least two venues when the Republican primary kicks into the gear. Uh, I don't know. When is that? When, when that would be, January, February, March of next year. And uh, Or delaying, doing all his tactics to delay a trial. And so DeSantis is pointing out that this man, as much as we all love him, and I love him every bit as much as you do, (laughs) I worship him. He did a great job. He just can't get elected. So elect me, you know, and I uh, will carry on his legacy. Well, it's like doing that. Uh, is the equivalent of shooting baskets in a gym when no one's guarding you, as opposed to doing it in a game when someone's in your face. You think Donald Trump is going to let Ron DeSantis get away with that? Donald Trump's running for president. He's mocking DeSantis. He's teasing DeSantis. He's taunting DeSantis. He's already got nicknames for DeSantis. So DeSantis is carrying on this bizarre little theatrical performance piece where he ignores the man who's right in his face yelling at him while urging that man's cultist followers to support him because he's afraid if he denounces Trump, Trump cult will turn against him. Fast forward to Rahm Emanuel, our beloved mayor. Remember when he first got elected? He wanted to figure out a way to blame all the city's fiscal problems on his predecessor, but his predecessor, Richard M. Daley, was the man to whom Rom largely owned. you could make this compelling case. Largely owned a good chunk of his political career right up there with Bill Clinton. So he couldn't really criticize Daly. Plus, they shared the same fundraising base. Plus, then you would have to then he would have to deal with the issue of, well, if Daly was so bad as a fiduciary, why did you ever never criticize him when he was the mayor? Why did you always support him? Why did you come back to Chicago and give that infamous speech defending Daly? When Daley was like, I thought he was going to get indicted, Mick. I really did, but he didn't. He somehow skirted that indictment in the, what, about 2005, 2006. So I think it was Mick who may have come up with this nickname, the mayor who shall not be named. So Ron would always allude to a previous administrations. <laughs> it would be like, wait, who's, who, who, who who is the mayor? But never would say the name, just like. Ron DeSantis will never say the name Trump. Well, ron got away with it. Got reelected, eight years in office. Will Ron DeSantis get away with it? And with that, I turn things over to the great, the legendary Mick Dumkey. Welcome back to the show, Mick. It is and, good to be back, Ben. Uh, and uh by the way,
0: the shirt, you're welcome. Uh yeah, I thought you were wearing that in honor of uh, the Northwestern lacrosse team is in the final four, so they have a big final four matchup today. I was vaguely aware of that.
2: <laughs> in reality, I was dashing uh, up the stairs. Uh, I grabbed the first shirt I saw, and then I you gave, it, in. You
0: gave it a quick sniff. Okay, good enough. Putting it on, I understand. Just happened to be purple. <laughs> the lacrosse wild. Wildcats appreciate it anyway, Ben. Thank you. Uh, all right, and their softball team is outstanding too. Let's That's right, it. they're trying to get make it to the softball world series, yeah. so they have a big game today as well. Uh, yeah,
2: uh, so all right, enough Northwestern news before we get into what's on your mind. And uh, I, we're gonna take a deep dive in the city council, ladies and gentlemen. We're gonna have too much fun <laughs> ourselves, um, yeah. Uh, but your thoughts, uh, Rom and Ron, Rom got away with it. Never mentioning daily and keeping the same funders, you know, that supported daily supported Rom, the same people who voted for Daily voted for
0: Rom. He got away with it, Mick. Will Ron DeSantis get away with it? Well, it's certainly going to be much tougher for Ron DeSantis. I don't think he will get away with that. I should answer your question directly because I like it when people answer my questions directly instead of filibustering the time away. So I will say no, he will not get away with it. Uh, I mean, listen. The difference is that um, uh, Ron DeSantis is running against Trump. Uh, so, barring you know something happening to one of them, or Trump, Trump's legal woes intensifying and somehow making him uh, legally unelectable, uh, I think Ron DeSantis is going to have a really difficult path to walk going forward. Here, um, it was a little awkward for Rom. But, I mean, I'm sure he was winking at Daley when he was saying these things. I mean, literally, Rahm's inauguration speech in 2011, he gave a whole speech about the need for reform, (laughs) the need to change things, to get away from Chicago's past, while his uh, benefactor and mentor, Richard M. Daley, was sitting a few feet away. Uh, (laughs) However, he was not running against Daley, merely part of the legacy of Daly, while also capitalizing on that legacy. So yes, it was complicated then, but um, at least they weren't going head-to-head. So I think DeSantis has a much more formidable task ahead. Oh,
2: absolutely. Uh, and uh, whenever Rom did mention Daly, it was to praise him. He... <laughs> <laughs> it's true. You're right, Mick. Whenever he wanted to criticize Daly, uh, he would never mention his name, and he would talk about like, uh, previous administrations, but whenever he wanted to praise Daly, he made a point of, uh, so I think Rom, uh, had a, you're, you're correct. A far easier task. <laughs> Can you imagine if Daly ran against Rom? If remember when Daly's brother at one point, like stood up for the family, I think it was Bill Daly at some point said, oh, I'm sick of this. Yeah, you know? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. We, I think you and I've had this conversation before we move on to the next topic. Do you think Rahm Emanuel could have defeated uh, Richard M. Daley one-on-one in a race for mayor of city of Chicago? No. I agree. No no, no question. Do you think if Richard M. Daley came back right now in whatever st- physical state he is, <laughs> would he be elected mayor to of the city Chicago? Yes or no? There's
0: a good chance of it.
2: <laughs> I think so. No doubt about it.
0: Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Really good days. It, The only difference is that we're a few years removed now we're 12 years removed from richard m daily yeah. and there are a lot of younger voters younger activists younger office holders who don't necessarily hold the daily name in the same awe that people earlier did um somebody was pointing this out to me i know we're getting to the city council so this is relevant for the city council is that you know once that aura has been punctured, that it's a lot easier for people to speak out. Now, we're talking degrees. One of the things you and I want to talk about is whether there was actual gridlock in the last city four years at city council, which uh, one Alder person claimed this week to the media. And the truth is that Mayor Lightfoot, like the mayors before her, um, dating back to the uh, you know white Verdoliac 29 uh, obstructing Harold Washington. but since then pretty much every mayor has gotten everything he or she wanted and so what constitutes an uprising in most instances is like 17 nay votes and yeah. still passing something comfortably, but that's a lot different from the 50 to nothing or 49 to 1 votes that were pretty routine under. Daily and even Rom. Yeah, I uh,
2: which are overkill. All right, we're going to get into all that. Trust me, we're going to get into all that. Uh, but let's uh, start with what's uh, paramount on your mind from this week's, uh, and that's the story you wrote, outstanding article. Ladies and gentlemen, I urge everybody to run, don't walk, uh, to read it. Uh, Black Club's website, we've talked about it a lot already this week. Uh, so, Mick, why don't you take it away, your investigation about council committees, which in its own way is funny it's i know you didn't write it to be funny and i know you weren't intending to be funny uh but it was funny because it just shows you how ridiculous and absurd the city council
0: could be so take it away well the one thing you taught me a long time ago and that i have tried not to forget through the years is that when you follow chicago politics uh, you're going to be outraged, but you also have to allow yourself to be entertained along the way because there is no cast of characters as colorful and uh, befuddling and interesting and amusing as the people at Chicago City Hall Um just anywhere in the country, I, I swear, I think that it's just the politics here are unmatched. So, yes, you do have to look at it in that spirit. But at the heart of it, it's really outrageous. I mean, the nut graph of my story is that as the humanitarian crisis around uh, the number of migrant arrivals has, has escalated and intensified in Chicago, the city council committee that has... The responsibility to provide oversight and do legislative work related to immigration and refugees did nothing. It didn't even meet for more than a year and a half as this as this crisis built, and even by the annals of City Hall and the Chicago City Council, rubber stamp, you know, sitting on their hands at certain key moments. Like I still found this just particularly outrageous. So I tried to write this story and to offer kind of the play-by-play of how this committee got formed. It was formed basically as a reward to a loyal Alder person, recently retired 30th Ward, Alder person, Ariel Raboiris, a gift to him essentially from Lori, from Lori Lightfoot. and while he spent taxpayer money on staff for this committee they passed one law in two and a half years and as i said didn't even hold a meeting as the migrant crisis escalated they and did. That's, a, that's a snapshot of yeah. how a lot of the committees work not all of them some do some work but a lot of them exist really just to create fiefdoms as rewards for, for loyalty. Yes. Uh,
2: and I've, I forgot they passed a law. I, they actually did. Would you say they passed a law? You I mean there was legislation that came out of that committee that went to the full council and was approved by
0: the full council. That is, is that correct. And signed by the mayor. It was an expansion of the city's uh, welcoming ordinance. Um, it basically, prohibits city officials and personnel including the police from cooperating in a federal immigration investigation like a civil immigration investigation people aren't supposed city officials are not supposed to be working with the federal government you know to help remove someone strictly for some kind of civil immigration violation so that's a significant that was a significant addition to the city's. you know, existing welcoming ordinance. But that was in January of 2021. And they literally did not take any action since then. Okay. So the backdrop
2: uh to this is one of our favorite themes. We've talked about this forever. <laughs> We've written about it forever. Uh, Mick and I. Uh, and that is how the Chicago City Council Uh, since Harold Washington uh, took control of it uh, in the middle of his term, has essentially ceded control of government to the mayor. Uh, And in exchange, the mayor uh, rewards city council members, select city council members with committee chairs. Uh, they get to be the chair of committee. They get some patronage, which means they get to hire a staff. They get a budget, which means I don't know. They get to hire a staff, uh, and they get to hold a gavel at a meeting and bang the gavel at a meeting. And a lot of these guys would give up a lot just to bang
0: that gavel. Uh, <laughs> You're and, absolutely <laughs> correct, and to be greeted with the title, "Hello, Chairman." Yeah, <laughs> you'd be surprised how far that goes.
2: You know, I've I've thought about. I thought about that mick i give up a lot people just started calling me hey mr (laughs) chair uh and um so and then in exchange so that's the deal the mayor gets to do whatever he or she wants uh, and there's no oversight The, the city council asks acts as a rubber stamp and uh in in the the principle of it uh mick is that it's a complete violation of the notion of a check and a balance between a legislative branch and an executive branch. It's, it's kind of a mockery of it. You know, it's like a middle finger to that, uh, which is the like the central precept of our democracy. Uh, but on a practical, pragmatic Chicago way, it's viewed as a healthy way to run government. And I've heard this argument thrown to me. Very few people will throw it publicly, but you and I have both been there where people have explained things really work, ben. You know, this is how it works. So um, it would be just chaos if we left it up to the city council to decide every issue. You have one voice. Chicago speaks with one voice, the mayor. The city council ratifies whatever that mayor wants to do. That's order. That, that gives us a sense of how the universe operates. So in any given moment, we know who to go to to get something done in the city of Chicago. And that, my friend, is why Chicago is the world's greatest city, as opposed to being Detroit, Gary, Cleveland, fill in the blanks. Mick, you've heard this uh, as much as I have. We heard this throughout the 90s. We heard this in the O's. I think we're going to hear a variation of it uh, from a new cast of characters in the coming year. And I'd love to get your response uh, to this this worldview that's just tip, so Chicago that you need to, to have absolute control of the Chicago City Council to keep Chicago from, what, dissolving into chaos.
0: You put it perfectly. That is exactly the argument. There's only one small addendum that you didn't mention, which is that Uh, Certain defensive alder people are also quick to say, we do provide oversight to the mayor. We do come back with suggestions. We do oppose things, but we do it behind closed doors. We work it out in meetings. We work it out in briefings. And then on the council floor, we're able to work with efficiency on behalf of the people of Chicago, this great city. (laughs) So you're right. That is, that is the argument. And uh, I know a lot of your listeners are supporters of the new mayor, Mayor Johnson, but he and his team are basically saying the same thing right now. I mean, his city reorganization plan, Ben, he calls a unity plan. And They're saying in order to get things done, in order to move the agenda forward that the people of Chicago want, that they voted for, we all have to work together. So you ask my counter argument to that. Well, I think you articulated it. These are supposed to be different branches of government. It doesn't mean they have to be at war all the time, but there is supposed to be genuine oversight by the legislative branch of the actions and decisions and policies of the executive branch. And here they all kind of bleed together. Yeah, they bleed together. Now, uh, the devil's advocate,
2: uh, in me wants to throw this at you. Let's say Ariel Robroyas. Who was the chair of that committee. What was the exact name of the committee? It was
0: committee on Immigrant and refugee rights. Gotcha. Okay. So let's,
2: uh, say, uh, he was really a diligent chair, uh, and, uh, and decided that he would hold at least one meeting a month to talk about the pressing immigrant issues that Chicago has been facing Mick for a long time. What difference would that have made in terms of, of city policy uh, in over the last, I don't know, what is it, 18 months?
0: Well, at the very least, I think it would have offered the public an opportunity to hear what the city's plans are for responding to the arrivals of, of migrant people. We have people in some neighborhoods who are cooking meals themselves for migrant families who are sleeping on the floors of police stations in their communities. We have other neighborhoods that are outraged at the notion that public money is being spent on recent arrivals when they look around and say, the government has been pulling the plug on our neighborhood for years or decades. And I'm not naive enough to think that holding a public meeting and uh, having Alder people, who, by the way, are elected by their communities to represent their communities. I'm not naive enough to think that simply holding a hearing where they get to ask questions is going to make everybody feel good about every part of what's going on here. But I think it helps. And, and more importantly, that is part of democracy, is at the very least, not every citizen, not every resident is going to participate in the democracy but they should at least have the opportunity to do so and i think that's what public meetings public hearings are for there's also the possibility that older people will have helpful suggestions there's the increased possibility i think that uh there could be better coordination among city officials state officials federal officials and older people community leaders Because while this committee charged with these kinds of things was not meeting, what's been described to me by individual alder people is just a mad scramble. Alder people were trying to keep up with what the city was doing day to day. Some alder people got together and organized their own responses. Um, I suspect if we really got down to it, some older people met on their own and probably violated the state's open meetings act by essentially having a, an unofficial unannounced committee meeting on the side someplace. And I know that ranks very low when we're talking about children sleeping on cold floors, but, you know, listen, the process does matter. That is what a democracy is about. So um, I think that the city could have done better on this whole crisis from the beginning um, and the city council's role in it should not be overlooked. You know, we, I, I, I'll i say this, any young journalists out there, I
2: truly believe, and I think lawyers go through this, that you should be forced to make the other side's argument uh, at any given time as a discipline, a practice, learning to... Like, Mick, that's why I read the Tribune editorials so that you take, <laughs> so that you don't
0: have to. You don't I have know. to, yes, correct.
2: <laughs> but also, I want to know what the other side. I maybe they have a shred of a good idea there, and you know, and may influence me for once. Uh, just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it will. It won't happen sometime. But yeah, no, you're absolutely. And, and plus, let's let's go back to your other point. This being Chicago, there's the entertainment factor. I can make a compelling case that pound for pound, one of the most entertaining moments of the Richard M. Daley regime was when the finance committee uh, held a hearing on Mayor Daley's uh, cigarette smoking ordinance, which I don't know if you remember, make was an utter obsession of mine for uh, about <laughs> a year or so. How Daley like, held back on passing uh, a ban on smoking in public places. And at that hearing, Mike Ditka showed up. I don't know if you remember this. I don't know if you were still covering politics. I don't know when it happened. But it was Mike Ditka got up there and would have you believe that the restaurant industry, as we know it, would collapse, okay, if this tyrannical, dictatorial, (laughs) communist-like ban on cigarette smoking in public places were passed. And it was pound for pound just...
0: Did you like more than when Don King accompanied uh, Mayor Daley to a press conference about what how Walmart was going to save Black and Brown neighborhoods in Chicago? Because uh, that's that's my favorite compared to your uh, Ditka testifying about uh, yeah. the red ordinance. Um, uh, so okay, no, that's classic, classic.
2: Uh, Don King, yeah, that's a great one. And then there was the time Don King came to Chicago with James Brown. Oh my God, this is way way back. <laughs> Don King and James Brown in Chicago together, ladies and gentlemen. I think Al Sharpton was there as well, but in a much junior role. So he didn't get to talk like we would talk, They were looking at him go, like as if to say, shut up, Al. I'm Don King.
0: <laughs> there needs to be a movie about this, like the one night in Miami movie. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> uh, One
2: afternoon in Chicago. They were on the 18th Ward. That's my memory. But it was a long time ago. So somebody out there will correct me. Um all right, uh, let's, we started talking about the city council. Uh, let's take a deep dive on Wednesday's meeting. Uh, I was not there. You, I believe, were there. I watched a good chunk of it on um, the clerk's website. And uh, shout out city clerk, city of Chicago. We make fun of it all the time. But unlike uh, Ron DeSantis' presidential announcement, there were no technical difficulties. I got to see the whole thing. Uh, and... Uh, my show, I had to do a recording, Mick, um, so I had to cut myself off. It was tough to do, but I walked away, Renee, uh, to do my recording of that this, that day's show. Uh, in the aftermath, the city council passed um, the reorganization, uh, what was it, ordinance, which um, gave, as you were just saying, control of this council chairs to Well, they're not all Johnson loyalists, but they probably will be Johnson loyalists. Uh, And um, it passed 41 to 9. And Brandon Johnson proclaimed in the aftermath that that was an A. Give me an A. At which point I quibbling said, well, in old school me, uh, 41 uh, out of 50 is 82%. At best, it's like a B minus. Some really tough graders would give them a C plus. Uh, But great inflation has happened throughout the city. So uh, he gave himself uh, an A. there uh, By conventional standards in the city of Chicago, that is astounding success because contrary to everything we just discussed, conventional standards in the city of council in the city of Chicago is that if the mayor has control of the city council, that means the city is more orderly, more organized, uh, more focused. Uh, and we are all safer as a result. And th- furthermore, it's a sign of status for the mayor to be the leader and not a follower. And so by and large, by conventional standards, the standards that have governed this city since Richard M. Daly was the mayor, following in Rom, that was a very successful city council meeting. That's conventional Chicago interpretation. But I don't share that interpretation and i'm wondering what your thoughts are on that interpretation go ahead
0: i think i'm in the same camp as you when i read that that he uh gave himself an a i thought since one is 82% an a um especially if the curve we're talking about is historically over the last 20 to 30 years there've been a lot of 50 to nothing votes 49 to 1 votes so Forty-one votes is actually uh, maybe, like you said, it probably is more like a B minus on, on a. If we're being really super tough, um, I'll give him a B for being a, uh, a first meeting mayor and facing. I know you've been talking about this a lot, but facing some real concerns from business people and from uh, you know. Self-described centrists and people on the right uh, who are very worried about Brandon Johnson, Mayor Johnson, his tax policies. Are are Chicago going to go too far to the left? I think to come in there and get 41 votes on his first major initiative right off the bat, I get why he's given himself an A. Uh, Are you uh, impressed, uh,
2: by him corralling the city council. Are you, are you impressed that uh, the deal that the city council made the week before he was uh, elected, in which they reorganized themselves, uh, Scotty Waggisback would retain the chairmanship of the finance uh, committee? Uh, that's probably the most significant difference. And uh, I think um, your good friend uh, from the 13th War, Marty Quinn, got a committee
0: uh, that he got to chair as well. Uh, he, he did not actually. In the first he, one? In the first one, he did. Yes, he did not I'm in saying. this one. Yeah, 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 okay, got it, yeah. got it, yeah. Uh, so make uh, sure. Yeah, no, because yeah, he got He released, it. He released a statement uh, explaining his no vote on uh, Mayor Johnson's reorganization, which is striking, just as it was striking when he gave a speech in favor of the short-lived council independence movement a few weeks earlier because Alderperson person quinn rarely speaks out on the council floor so for him to kind of go out of his way and uh, weigh in one way or the other on this rather than just saying uh i or nay on something is is notable in itself ben yeah uh, so was i impressed i think that's what you started to say uh It depends what you mean by impressed. Was I enthused? Was I surprised? Neither of those things. Um, What was impressed upon me by his working of the phones and lining up of this uh, new set of committee leaders to his liking was that, uh, you know, just like his predecessors, Mayor Johnson does not want to give up any power that that office has that office the mayor's office has been seen as the place where uh committee leaders where city council leaders are picked you know the mayor picks the city council leaders that's what's been done for a long time and even if i don't like it necessarily as a citizen i don't think it's a good government practice to have the executive branch dominate the legislative branch as we just got done discussing I totally get it politically why the mayor and his team would say, well, we won the election. We're going to retain as much power as we possibly can. We want to get our agenda through. Why would we give this thing up on some sort of abstract principle that apparently hasn't meant anything to voters before? So I get why they made the move. Uh, but it is the same move fundamentally that uh, Mayor Lightfoot, Mayor Manuel, and Mayor Daley made before
2: well i'll say this i um i believe that uh, i'm going to give lori Lightfoot credit for something uh hold on everybody let's yeah, listen let's get uh,
0: this
2: effectively replacing ed burke and pat o'connor as finance chairs with scott Waggisback was a great achievement for the city of chicago i think scotty wagas back and people go, oh, Ben, you just like Scotty because you've known him for a long time. Well, it, that may be true. But I think he did a was far more f- open and fair than Ed Burke. Ed Burke was the finance chair for years and years and years while he was running a property tax uh, law firm and was using his power over contracts to try to force uh, property owners into u- hiring him as their lawyer. And that... <laughs> Mayor Rahm and Mayor Daley just looked the other way at that for all these years. Uh, And then at the tail end of the Rahm administration, if you remember... uh, Burke was either indicted or his officers were raided. I think it was just the raid, not the full indictment. Well,
0: both happened. Both,
2: both happened. happened. Yeah. The yeah okay. Seated the indictment, I believe. Okay. Uh, and so uh, Ram was shocked and aghast. Uh, and he, <laughs> what? This is going Gambling... on in my city. Yeah, I can't yeah. believe
0: this. <laughs> Gambling in Casablanca. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. Gambling in Casablanca.
2: <laughs> uh, and. Uh, Burke was either removed or stepped down as finance chair, and they brought in Patrick O'Connor. So I just could see it's a continuation of the Burke era. I think Scotty was a big improvement over that. Uh, Scott Wagesbeck was ousted as chair. So thank you, Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Uh, all right. Uh, and Scott Wagesbeck was ousted uh, in the uh, on Wednesday and replaced with Pat Dow, a longtime alderwoman from the Third Ward. Uh, in your humble opinion, Mick, Will Pat Dowell be much different as chair of the Finance Committee than Scott Waggisbeck?
0: I don't know if she'll be dramatically different. Uh, I did have a chat with Alderperson Dowell recently, and she talked about some things that she wants to do um, that she believes would bring greater transparency to the work of the committee and to the city in general. I don't expect that the finance committee is suddenly going to go off on its own and be some uh, really independent body that is, uh, you know, doing its own work separate from the administration. No, that part's not going to change. That didn't change under under Scott Waggis back and, and Lori Lightfoot. I don't think it'll change now. Uh, I do think that all their person Dowell is a is a thoughtful leader and that she's got some ideas for what she wants to do um you know the devil's in the details right ben we'll be keeping an eye out on it uh, what's going to happen with the with your beloved tiff program for example will there be more oversight of particular deals coming down the pipeline um you know scott would tell you that what he did was make sure he told us he said this to me he really worked hard to make sure uh, get this everybody, hold on to your seats, to make sure that all their people had the documents for these deals so they could look at them before they voted to approve them. Um, and we're Ben and I are smiling, we're laughing because that's absurd, that is the bare minimum. But that is a big step forward from the way things operated for years and years and years. So to go back to your, your earlier point, Ben, I agree with you. I think that Scott brought a new level of professionalism to that committee they cut the budget in half um previously the budget was for that committee alone was more than two million dollars a year mostly on employees some of whom ed burke used to send to other wards of uh, allied alder people when they needed a little help in their ward Burke would loan them a staffer from the finance committee. And then, you know, it's like the godfather accumulating debts over the years. And so uh, that further enhanced his power and his position there. Scott ended that kind of stuff, as far as I know. And so he did bring things into a new era. The finance committee still mostly signed off on initiatives sponsored by the mayor and the administration so not i wouldn't go so far as to call it an independent body but it definitely is a more professional one and i don't know that Alderperson person Dowell will change that fundamentally although i do think she is really talking about taking additional steps to professionalize it and bring more daylight to its operations all
2: right, since you mentioned I'm going to take that, a mini deep dive, I cannot resist. Uh, you mentioned the TIF program. Uh, I do not think there is a significant difference between uh, the way uh, the city of Chicago and Lori Lightfoot and Scott Wagerspach dealt with TIFs uh, than the way, uh, gosh, uh, was it Rom, Ed Burke, Daily Burke dealt with them on this in this function. Number one, uh, they're wholly just dis- out of whack it's so unfair and, uh, and uneven. And uh, Mick and I did the deep dive on this, ladies and gentlemen, and nothing has changed. Ten years ago, the distribution of TIF funds, the program is flawed. So as long as every neighborhood in the city can get a TIF, it's going to be unfair because the, most of the money will be generated in areas that, have, that are gentrifying. And that's the way it is. So the neighborhoods that really need the money won't get the money. The neighborhoods that don't need the money as much will get the money. And that continued uh, under uh, Lori Lightfoot and Scott Wagesbeck. And there was no attempt whatsoever to deal with this fundamental inequity that I could see. Uh, if anybody can has evidence of an attempt to deal with that, either in a public hearing or in a, a city document uh, or an actual spending, I'll be glad to see it. You can correct me but I didn't see it. Uh, and then of course um, the biggest scam in the program is that it's a property tax increase, but they'll never admit that it's a property tax increase. We pay more in property, even McDumkey who owns property in the city of Chicago pays more in property taxes because of tips. Uh, and the, it doesn't have to be in your ward. You're going to be paying more no matter where it is because it's a citywide property tax uh, and, uh, Pat Dow contributed to that misinformation with her objection to the red line extension. Mick, you shouldn't have you shouldn't have mentioned it. Uh, but this is a fundamental issue of transparency, good government, fairness, equity that has never been addressed. And here's a prediction, Mick: it will not be addressed in Brandon Johnson's administration. Why? Good question, Mick. Thank you for asking it. Because. It's too much power for a mayor to give up. You're going to control over a billion dollars worth of property taxes that the dummies of Chicago don't even know that they've given you. So why would you tell them, number one, that you're giving us a billion dollars, Mick? What good would that serve if Scotty Waggisback were to go to say to Lori Lightfoot, Your Honor, I've been a good government liberal my whole life, and I think the time has come that we tell the property taxes of the city of Chicago that they're paying over a billion dollars a year in property taxes for this Secret uh, off the shelf program that uh, that you could completely control. I think the time has come. What do you think Glory Lightfoot would have done? She just said, Son, get out of this office
0: right now. <laughs> like, she said, Put your you know what on the table. I'm the one who's got the biggest you know what. So, <laughs> can she, yeah. Can you imagine
2: Pat Dowell <laughs> running into Brandon Johnson's office? Boss, boss, I just discovered something. That this program adds over a billion dollars a year in property taxes to the tax. The taxes that people pay throughout the city, we have to tell the people of the city of Chicago about this right now. So maybe we can redress it so they won't pay as much. What do you think Brandon Johnson could say to her, Mick? Come on, Mick.
0: I'll find another budget chair. Yeah. Yeah. I think Carlos would do a good job there. (laughs) Uh. He could do zoning and budget, both of them. Why not? Why not just give everything to Carlos? I'm sorry, budget finance chair. We're talking finance chair. Yeah, finance chair. Pat is currently or has been the budget chair. Now is the finance chair. Anyway, yeah, I ruined the joke by uh with with a (laughs) factor there, Ben. But anyway, yeah, you're right. I mean, listen, it gets back to my point before. No no mayor in his or her right mind is going to willingly give up power. No politician generally, but certainly not the mayor of the city of Chicago, where uh even the places where you don't have that much power, you want to project power so that everybody thinks that you do. That's how the mayor operates in this city. Yeah, that's, uh, that's well put. Uh,
2: and uh, all right, uh, before we move on uh, to what else next is on your mind, uh, you mentioned something to me uh, before we went on, on the air. I'd love for you to address it. I think it was Carlos, uh Carlos Amirius Rosa of Alderman of the Thirty Fifth Ward, who is now the zoning chair and is now the um uh floor leader, said something about gridlock. We want to avoid the gridlock of the lorry life for years. <laughs> I had a laugh when I heard that. Why don't you to ta- uh, uh take it away, Mick, on that one. Uh the gridlock of the lorry life. I don't I don't recall really any substantial gridlock in the lorry life Did I miss something, Mick? <laughs> Was there a program that the mayor wanted to pass that she couldn't pass? I know the vote wasn't 48 to 2, but like I always say, Mick, all you need is 25 to get your program through. I can't recall. She got NASCAR. She wanted NASCAR, got NASCAR. Wanted a casino, got a casino. You know, uh, re- uh, uh, trying to think what any initiative that the mayor wanted that she couldn't get through because of gridlock in the city council. Help me
0: out, Mick. I can't help you on that one. I think you are correct. There may have been a couple of policies or proposals that were delayed or got revised a little bit, but fundamentally, almost everything she really pushed or got behind ended up getting through. So that didn't change from her predecessors. I too was struck by Carlos's comment. Alder person Ramirez Rosa's comment. You know, I talk to these people, so I call them by their first names when we're interviewing. And then I sometimes realize when I'm talking to you on the air that uh, they do have a title. We try to be respectful. They're not our buddies, even though we sometimes uh, use their first name. So just making that point clear. uh, Alder person Ramirez Rosa, if you're listening to this, I respect you and the title you have. And secondly, why are you listening to this? You got things to do. You're the new zoning chair and the floor leader for Mayor Johnson. Get back to work. Uh, anyway, uh, that's not what he's are saying. I, too, was struck by the gridlock comment because he used that to uh, essentially justify the fact that Mayor Johnson was making the picks for the city council's leadership, for the, the committee chairs. And I was struck not just You know, by your your point was that what gridlock? My point was also that, you know, just a few weeks ago before the runoff, Carlos gave a very eloquent speech on the floor of the city council talking about why the city council needed to act independently of the mayor to pick its own committee chairs and to do its own council reorganization. And he said what an important moment this was we shouldn't wait now is the time this new reorganization plan is going to be the most diverse ever and so on and now a few weeks later he's saying oh it's time to end the gridlock of the previous years and you know get everybody on board follow the mayor's plan and then finally ben if there was any gridlock over the last four <laughs> years it was caused by carlos and his allies, who were foes of Mayor Lightfoot on a number of issues. He was a on Team Preckwinkle before and during the 2019 election. And, you know, Carlos Ramirez Rosa never really got on board with Lori Lightfoot. He was never on Team Lightfoot. So he was one of her... Uh, most frequent critics in the city council over the last four years. So uh, now he's saying we want to get behind this unity plan. Okay.
2: interesting. I'm going to push back on you in a little bit. Uh, First of all, there was no gridlock. So it was a bad choice of word in my humble opinion. Mayor life forgot everything she wanted. Uh, She she may have had to wait one meeting to the next because of a, a maneuver called defer and publish. Now I'll get to that. So, the closest we came to gridlock, and I get into misuse of the word, but the closest we came to it was when uh, the tactic of defer and publish was employed by certain aldermen in the city council uh, to force the mayor to wait a week or two to have another meeting in which she could get <laughs> the council to rubber stamp whatever she wanted done. And more often than not, that gridlock was, that. oh, that deferred publish tactic was not employed by Carlos. I'm not even sure Carlos Miras Rosa ever employed a defer and publish. It was employed, by and large, by Raymond Lopez of the 15th Ward, Anthony Beal of the 9th Ward. Occasionally, JT, Jeanette Taylor, shout out, J- Jeanette Taylor, joined them. I think she did it once or twice. Correct me, Jeanette, if I'm wrong. Uh, and uh, so if there was gridlock, in the city council, which there was not gridlock, it was uh, a tactic employed by Anthony Beale. the same Anthony Beale, ninth ward, uh, who was a loyal supporter of Rom uh, and Daly uh, when he was when they were the mayors, uh, and who walked out on the zoning committee this time. I don't know if you saw this, Mick, but he said he's not going to sit on the zoning uh, because Carlos Ramirez Rosa is the chair, and he could not put up with eight hours. I'm sorry, Mick. It's straight up high school. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I don't like him. I'm not going to be in his club because he's the chairman of the club. I'm going to join another club. It's zoning committee, okay? It's like the, perhaps the most important committee in the council next to uh, finance or budget. So, uh, to Mick, if there's gridlock in the city council, I point to, and there isn't gridlock in the city council. (laughs) But if there is, uh, I would point uh, to Beal and Raylo. And sure enough, right off the bat, they deferred and published. They did. (laughs) First meeting with Brandon Johnson, Mick. What was it? The $51 million of assistance uh, that would go uh, to, um, for asylum seekers. Now, I thought Raylo made a compelling point, or maybe it was Beal. I can't remember which one. Uh, but they each have made compelling points. Like the city, this is a a task the city's not cannot handle. We need federal assistance. That $51 million uh, will be absorbed immediately or they're going to need more. Uh, This is classic good government, what the city council does, what we want them to do, Mick, uh, force the mayor to address the inadequacies in this case of his program. Uh, But I'll point out, if it's gridlock, it's not coming from Carlos Ramirez Rosa. It's coming from the same people that it's been coming from for the last four years. And that would be Anthony Beal and uh, Raylo. And by the way, it's not gridlock. It's healthy governmental debate. Your thoughts?
0: I agree with you mostly. I, I do recall that uh, Carlos was involved in, in a defer and publish um, once or twice, but I was just multitasking, listening to you and looking it up and I couldn't find it. So I don't have the evidence to back up (laughs) my admittedly, uh, faulty memory. Uh, that's the first thing. Secondly, you're right. I mean, yeah, there wasn't fundamental gridlock. And, uh, third, I thought that, uh, the reason that, ray lopez cited for his vote was that he doesn't know where the money is being spent he would like to see some specifics on the spending of the money i agree that is classic good government i mean you shouldn't vote on something you haven't seen the details you know whether it's much needed in my opinion uh funding for people who are are sleeping on floors or that you know people who are you know more conventionally quote-unquote homeless here uh, yeah, we should make sure we're using that money responsibly. We're, we should make sure we're using it effectively. There's no debate that the money is needed, but how are we using it? I think that's a really important question to ask. Whether defer and publish was the proper way to do it or not, you know, that's something we could discuss. But uh, that in itself, I don't have a problem with. Now, were they doing it for that reason? Were they doing it just a signal to Mayor Johnson that they are not going to be pushed around. I suspect that was a big part of it as well. And, you know, maybe that's an important point to make. Also, I don't think there's any real evidence that holding this up by a week is going to change the situation fundamentally right now. Like uh, the money is needed, but it's not necessarily that by deferring and publishing that uh, the the problem is going to be exacerbated by that alone. Uh, so i get it I, I agree with you on that there are potentially good reasons for for it happening the way that it did
2: uh all right and uh
0: before we move on i just urge everybody uh
2: check out the interview i did with matt topic last week mix is a friend of ours and a. uh freedom of information lawyer, outstanding uh, freedom of information lawyer. And he gave Lori Leibowitz a grade on her transparency, Mick. And as you might imagine, it was not a very good grade. Okay. It was definitely not <laughs> in the B minus category. Okay. Uh, and uh, so uh, let Matt speak for himself. Uh, really good job. He did in that. All right. Uh, I On your mind is an article, uh, Mick, that ran recently at Black Club about something going on in the Fulton market. Take it away.
0: Yeah, my colleague uh, Melody Mercado reported a story this week about how a group of uh, business owners in the Fulton Market area has formed a new organization uh, to essentially to raise money so they can hire private security. Uh, you know, augment the police that's already the policing that's already done there. I mean, the implication being that they're not satisfied with the policing that's already done, so. Uh, This group called, um, uh, I'm looking up the name while I do, but it's $800,000 a year uh, they formed and they're they're trying to raise uh, to add essentially extra patrols to the Fulton Market area. And, uh, you know, you and I were chatting about this a little bit offline and it just reminded us of how there have been attempts by other neighborhood groups through the years to essentially create their own private security forces here and there certain business quarters in particular some of these funded by uh sort of the tiff light program which is called the the uh special service area little special taxing districts that are created in certain parts of the city and over the years they've been uh they've used some tax money to try to hire their own private security firms. so this conversation seems to go away for a little while, then it keeps coming back. Ben, about uh, certain areas that feel that they have the money, they want to spend their money. Uh, that the regular police service that everybody else gets is not good enough, and so they want to create their own.
2: Uh, and yeah, and this is happening at the same time uh, as we speak. Papers filled with stories of uh, Mayor Johnson, uh, a new initiative uh, on the eve of May th- uh, Memorial Day weekend. Uh, to uh, use police and use social services, uh, hopefully more effectively, to uh, curb the um, the violence that occurs traditionally, the, the shootings, the gun, the gun carnage that occurs uh, on this weekend at the end of uh, May. Uh, Mick, obviously, <laughs> um, it's the uh, understatement of the year. A crime. It just remains. The predominant issue in the city of Chicago in so many ways uh, was that way in the mayoral election, and now, like you get, you know, the city will be looking like in, in the mirror in the aftermath of this weekend, and it will be like, how did the mayor do? Uh, how did the city do? What was the to? What was the tally? What was the total? Uh, it's 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 twisted. It really is twisted, Mick. The way we just accept it, move on, and and deal with it. Um, I have, at this point, Mick, I have no answers. We talk about it all the time on this show. So many different people come on forward to the microphone to talk about crime, policing, criminal justice. You and I have had this conversation multiple times, both on a mic and off a mic. Uh, At the moment, I just have no answers.
0: Uh, Do you have any answers, Mick? Not beyond the ones that we have discussed, debated, thrown out there. No, I mean, if there were easy answers, I'd like to think people would have pursued them already, but uh, crime, the reasons for crime are very complicated. I think they're very deep rooted. And so the one thing I will say is that this mayor obviously has uh, doubled down on trying to look for different approaches, fresh approaches, additional approaches to uh, preventing crime and uh, not just responding to it. So, uh, I'm hopeful about the part of having more discussions and to really seeing what else might work besides simply uh, sending in more and more police to respond to these things after the fact. Um, So, that's the part I'm hopeful for. Whether we're going to see that this particular weekend, I think that's that's a lot to ask of this mayor or everybody who's been working on this. The governor has sent more funding. They're going to have more outreach workers supposedly on the streets and in like yellow vests, I think, walking around some neighborhoods. So there are a lot of people... I I genuinely believe a lot of people who are really working hard on this to try to come up with answers and see what works. That's the part I find encouraging. And uh, like you, I'm just bracing myself for, uh, you know, people getting hurt, which is horrifying. And just, you know. On a much smaller level, like the media response, are are we gonna do better than just doing the box score approach? How many people shot, how many people killed? Is there gonna be more thoughtful coverage to looking into why these things are happening, to looking into the responses and seeing what might be working in the short term, what might be lurking in the longer term? Like I think we have that responsibility. So I hope it's not just gonna be, you know, the box score, the the bloodshed tally kind of approach to uh documenting what's going on
2: yeah
0: uh all right we'll close with
2: uh, a little levity or what passes for levity uh in the city of chicago our beloved city of chicago front page news uh in today's sun times Ticketmaster, that's the headline. Mick, I don't know if you get the actual newspaper.
0: Uh, You miss a lot if you don't get the paper. We do get the paper. Along with you, we are uh, one of the remaining households that still gets the Tribune and the Sun-Times delivered every day. That is either uh, a bragging or a
2: cry for help. Uh, Ticketmaster is the headline. uh, And (laughs) they got this photo uh, of Jim Gardner uh, the alderman of the forty-fifth ward uh, being sworn in, and I—I I guess it's a swearing in of two thousand eleven because over Jim Gardner's shoulder, it—it it looks to me uh, like Patrick Daly Thompson, uh, uh, the former alderman of the eleventh uh, ward. Uh, who was ousted? Who had to step down after he went to prison um, on corruption charges? But anyway, uh, so there he is taking the oath of office. So somehow or other, they knew enough to focus on him uh, back. And uh, here's James Capelman. Yeah, so it's got to be 2000. Here's George Cardenas. I'm
0: recognizing these aldermen from the photo. Uh, so it has to be 2015. Anyway, uh, it it's turns in nineteen. Out, it's 2019. It was Lori Lori Lightfoot's uh, the inauguration that included Lori Lightfoot. That is correct, Senator. Uh,
2: And uh, so uh, the story talks about how uh, Jim Gardner is uh, the subject of an FBI investigation uh, into allegations that he did the bidding of some unnamed developer uh, in exchange for favors. And one of the favors that was exchanged was Jim Gardner offering the uh, unnamed developer a free ticket. Well, the whole thing was free. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> tickets to Lori Lightfoot's inauguration. The uh, Mick just mentioned uh, to watch the swearing in. Mick, I had a laugh. I mean, I, you know, it's like that old joke uh, that uh, that uh, they that the first prize are two tickets to Lori uh, Lightfoot's uh, inauguration. Second prize is four tickets to Lori Lightfoot's inauguration. In other words, <laughs> who cares? Who wants to go to the damn thing in the first place? I'm sorry. That sounds so jaded. Uh, I did go to it, Mick, uh, in 2019. Maya Dukmasova made me go. Uh, And I did not go to this year's uh, for Brandon Johnson's. Um, So uh, your thoughts on uh, tickets, complimentary tickets uh, to Lori Lightfoot's inauguration uh, being a favor swapped.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is part of a... um alleged bribery scheme uh, in which Alder person Gardner allegedly took an envelope of cash from a developer. And so today's story by the great John Seidel, as you would say, the, the great John Seidel, federal court reporter for the Sun-Times, uh, is basically, you know, there's been some recently revealed court documents from this FBI investigation into the alleged bribery and saying that one of the ways that uh, Alderman Gardner paid this developer back was with the floor seat at the inauguration in 2019. Uh, you know, not exactly like a floor seat to see Beyonce, everybody, okay? This is not necessarily a hot item. That's what we find funny about it. The part that isn't funny is the uh, specifics of an allegation that uh, Jim Gardner allegedly took this bribe. I think it was either right before he actually was seated as alder person or right after. Like He wasn't even months into the job when he allegedly took this cash bribe. I keep saying allegedly because he has not been charged with any crime. Um, it's important to note that in fairness to Alderman Gardner uh, but the details that keep coming out of these court documents um, affidavits are are pretty striking and he just got reelected inaugurated for another term uh, but I don't know if this investigation is closed you know the FBI only says what it wants to say when it wants to say it but uh there's no indication well there's no one he hasn't been charged there's also no indication that this investigation is over. Yeah. The ongoing parade of
2: allegations of corruption, malfeasance uh, by Chicago's aldermen continues, ladies and gentlemen, a great tradition in the city of Chicago. So that's right.
0: Uh, since I've been here, definitely. It definitely precedes that. Um, uh, before we sign off, there's one other thing I have to bring up. Oh. Um Ben and I like to talk about, uh, basketball among other things. And then I did a little investigative reporting. I looked at my text threads and, uh, some of your listeners may be aware there's a, uh, a great series going on right now between the, the Boston Celtics and the Miami Heat and the Celtics are still alive in the NBA playoffs because they, uh, they, they narrowly averted an upset by the Philadelphia 76ers in the previous round. And their star, of course, Jason Tatum, uh, who is an outstanding player, a graduate of Duke, one of Ben's favorite schools. That's a joke. Um, and so I just had to let all your listeners know, Ben, that uh, I received a text message from a certain Ben Jarofsky on May 11th when Tatum was, uh, just nailing three pointers and providing heroics against the Sixers. And the text message said, Tatum is no joke. Uh, Three days later, May 14, man, Tatum is unreal. Uh, Five five days later, as uh, Tatum and the Celtics were struggling against the Miami heat, here's the text I got from Ben Jarowski. Tatum is a typical Duke player, overrated. so uh, if you're still listening instead of organizing your colleagues in the city council for for mayor johnson uh you're not the only one with some occasional inconsistencies out there we all do it including including our friend ben all right in my
2: defense first of all i'm not certain those are not forged documents i'm just saying okay uh so let me just say this uh it would be hilarious and embarrassing if all the people who received my texts during basketball games were to do what Mick just did and read them publicly, because <laughs> I'm like at that moment, it is a, at that moment feeling. Okay. I'm watching Jason Tatum knock down six in a row. I'm like, unbelievable. This guy is the greatest things in Michael. My- I text Mick. <laughs> I text Mick because I know he was watching. And every now and then he stuns me. He comes back. Uh, uh Matt's and it's usually uh Romana's fault, like some function <laughs> with his in-laws oh, that he's
0: you you can't you can't detect the annoyance in the text but it's no, but there, it's there. Me. you know yeah.
2: i can oh God, i feel for you uh you're missing
0: this game and I, by missed the way, Ramana- I missed the first quarter thanks yeah, thanks missed- for telling me yeah
2: and by the way uh romana's brother is a diehard sports fan so he, it's like a twofer it makes never alone there's
0: always his other agonized soul and the we had some family dinner uh <laughs> last weekend in fact where half the table was uh, staring at the the game on their phones, and the other table was half of the table is actually talking to one another like normal people. So you
2: know, I, I believe, and this is like I will raise this for Bono which when she's on the show next week. I believe that families should openly address this issue. And the fact of the matter is, in fairness to the sports obsessed, You should just make provisions. Is that asking too much? Like, have the dinner start a little earlier. Maybe have the dinner start later. This is something that went on in my household my whole life, people. This is a plea. I was the only sports fan (laughs) in, in a house filled with eggheads. And they'd be like, why do you care? You know, like, uh, could you move? I want to watch that. Well, you that's, care? that's an
0: existential question. You can't adequately answer, you can you? Yeah, you so. can't.
2: So, I so going back. So, I'm sending these texts to Mick. I got a few Utawak, shout out to you. There's a Norm Cap. There's a whole group. There's like 20 people that I'm texting while I'm watching these games. Uh, and you know, maybe half of them are watching the games. Uh, and so it's at that moment, Mick. It's like
0: that's how it is with sports. It's like at that moment, that's how I feel. No, and- I get it. I I'm making <laughs> fun of you because actually those texts perfectly capture the up and down of the ups and downs of of watching a great game like that. What's really funny about this, though, is that. Like neither of us actually cares about either of these teams. Like we <laughs> we're not even passionate about anybody playing. We just love the game so much that we're still obsessed. Like, you know, man, that guy's awesome. Man, that guy is such a bum. And it's like it's not even our team. I yeah. mean, amazing. So. I
2: uh, uh no, it's so true. I all I ever want uh, when my beloved Bulls are out uh, of any series is a seven game series. So that requires me to root for a separate team. So right now in this series, I'm passionately rooting for the Boston Celtics, a team I really cannot stand. It's
0: hard for you in most circumstances.
2: I can't stand the color of their uniforms. And it's true. I admit I have a strong bias against anything Duke related. I don't know why Northwestern consistently loses to Duke in football. Please explain that to me, Pat. I do not understand it. I will never it's something about the Duke uniform. that Northwestern goes here, have the first down. That's okay with us. So
0: I um three in a row now, not that I keep track or anything. Yeah. It's terrible. And Duke is mediocre in football. Yeah, mediocre is an overstatement.
2: Yeah, yeah. it's like something about that. Uh, they see the they see the jersey and they think, oh, it's Shashevsky's team. No, different team. Northwestern. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, so yeah, I have a bias against, um, but that said, I'm really hoping Tatum lights it up tomorrow. I'll be watching the game. I know you will be as well, Mick, or um, I don't know if you don't have a family function. Uh, yeah. correct. <laughs> correct. I uh, think it's in the clear. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> game six. It should be a great, great game. I'm rooting for the Celtics so that we'll have a game seven. And then, you know, after that, ladies and gentlemen, I don't care.
0: Whoever wins wins. That's my attitude. What's your attitude, Mick? Well, I'm kind of rooting for Jimmy Butler. Uh, just his performances are incredible. Former bull, his whole story is kind of great. Uh, but ultimately I want to see more basketball same as you. So <laughs> bring it on, just make the game great and I'll be happy. Yeah. And then after that, uh, no matter who wins, there's the finals, there's the finals. And as one of my friends, uh, our, our mutual friend, Mark Baser, texted to several of us this morning. You know, meanwhile, uh, Jokic is catching up on all of his hobbies, just sitting around waiting as uh, Denver Denver awaits the winner here. Isn't Baser a diehard Boston Celtics fan? Of course he is. He's from Boston. Yeah.
2: That is, this is me to Mark Baser. That is so lame, Mark Baser.
0: <laughs> That's
2: the lamest thing I've ever heard. I love the Celtics. All right, enough. I could go on
0: for another two hours and McDumpkey's got things to do. Uh it's true. Uh, Sadly, it's true. But this uh, is this is great, Ben. It's always a good time. Uh basically all your listeners, it's like they are listening to one of our phone calls. Yeah. This is exact almost exactly how our phone calls go. There may be a couple more F bombs in the phone calls, but that's about it.
2: Uh well, I will just uh push back a tiny bit. There's a few good things on the phone calls that don't go mentioned on the mic. Uh, and so if we ever did a, like a, if we ever had like one of those systems where there was bonus material that you
0: had to pay for, that's what we would put. That's what you do. Yeah. Or, you know, instead of the Nixon tapes, the uh, Jorofsky tapes get leaked somehow, then there will, people will hear it. Hear the rest of it. Uh, anyway, uh, make it a
2: blast. Thank you so much for taking the time and uh, get back to whatever you're doing for block club. All right. Will do. Thank you, sir. All right. That's the great Mick I Also want to thank uh, producer Chris. He does an outstanding job. I think everybody at Block Club would agree with me when I say producer Chris, give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. Have a great weekend, everybody.
1: Don't forget, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows, get Benny J bonus interviews and so much more at ChicagoReader.com. Find The Ben Jarofsky Show on Instagram at Benny J Show and like and follow The Ben Jarofsky Show all over the internet on your favorite streaming and podcasting platforms.